0: Now We hear a lot about solar from TVA, but from what we've seen, it's a lot of talking the talk, and we have yet to see them actually walk the walk.
1: Nearly 100 years ago, the federal government set up the Tennessee Valley Authority to help provide electricity to rural Appalachia, where for-profit companies refused to invest in service. The federal authority grew from hydro dams to coal power plants to nuclear power plants, and today provides electricity to over 150 local power companies across seven states. But as Maggie Schober, Director of Utility Reform for the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, explains in this interview, these local power companies are looking for something different in 2020 than they were in 1930. Listen in to hear how a federally controlled power service has come into conflict with the many communities it serves over clean power and local self-determination, and how they could find a way to move forward together. I'm John Farrell, Director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a bi-weekly podcast sharing powerful stories about local, renewable energy. Maggie, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you for having me, John.
1: So I wanted to start out, you know, you're based in the southeast, you're working on clean energy, and lately there's been a lot of discussion about this power company that was formed during the Great Depression. Can you just explain a little bit for folks who are not familiar about the Tennessee Valley Authority and how it has traditionally delivered electricity to communities in the southeast?
0: Absolutely. The TVA was established in the 1930s, as you said, as a way to electrify a part of the country that was slow to electrify the rural Tennessee Valley. Cities in that area were actually already electrifying. The TVA also was set up to provide flood control and jobs to the region. The Tennessee Valley area that we're talking about here is an area that covers most of Tennessee, northern parts of Mississippi, Alabama, and Georgia, and then a few southern parts of Kentucky and small pieces of North Carolina and Mississippi. So a number of, of different states. Now, depending on who you ask, the TVA is sometimes portrayed as a great savior for the region, and sometimes it's portrayed as having a story past. All in all, TVA did a lot of good in the area, but could have done better, particularly by uh, poor and non-white communities in the area. Since its founding, TVA has been the sole electricity provider for municipal and cooperative utilities in the region. Today, that number is uh, 154, what we call local power companies. This number has varied a little bit over the years as a handful of utilities have left the system and a few have even left the system and then come back. Federal law protects TVA from competing for its customers through two clauses, the fence line clause and the anti-cherry picking clause. These together mean that no other utility can provide power to TVA's 154 local power companies. These local power companies are in what we call all requirements contracts with TVA. So that means TVA provides all the required power to the LPC, and the LPC cannot contract with anyone else for power or self-generate any of its own power.
1: Could you just talk briefly about where TVA has sourced most of its energy? You talked about flood control, so I imagine hydropower has been a big part of Mm -hmm. the kind of energy that they're supplying. Where else are those communities getting electricity from, from TVA?
0: Yes. So TVA has actually gone through a number of waves throughout its history of the kinds of technologies it uses to generate electricity. So in the early years, it was a whole lot of hydropower, and then starting in the 40s and 50s, TVA built a large number of coal-fired power plants, and they moved pretty heavily over the next decades after that into nuclear. So TVA system still has a large amount of hydro, nuclear, and some coal, Although lately, a lot of that coal has been replaced by gas, by building new gas, combined cycle plants.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd imagine that it's been a good period of time for the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy, given how competitive solar and wind power have become. I'm kind of curious. I, I didn't hear solar and wind mentioned there as you were describing what TV has been producing. So how have they responded to the availability of low-cost clean energy? You know, are they adopting a lot of solar and wind power for the 154 local power companies they're serving?
0: We at Southern Alliance for Clean Energy are very excited about the pace at which solar and wind power costs have dropped, but unfortunately, TVA has been slow to respond and and thus TVA customers are really missing out on these low-cost resources. Now, to understand more about why and how TVA has failed to adopt these resources, we have to know a little bit about TVA's regulatory structure or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Until the early 2000s, TVA was run by a three-person, full-time board of directors. These directors were appointed by the president and approved by the Senate, TVA being a a federal agency and all. In the early 2000s, however, that model shifted so that TVA could be run more like an investor-owned utility. But investor-owned utilities are regulated by state public service commissions, usually in exchange for being granted a monopoly. Since TVA is a federal entity, it isn't regulated at the state level, so now it's overseen by a nine-person, part-time board of directors, where directors are still appointed by the president and approved by the Senate. This board chooses a CEO to run the TVA, making it more like an IOU, but with significantly less regulatory oversight because the board tends to be very hands-off. So TVA CEO has a lot of power and lacks oversight when making decisions about the future of energy in the Tennessee Valley. Customers in other states can intervene on issues they care about and elect public service commissioners that care about their issues, but that's just not how things work with the TVA. So a couple of examples of this, TVA had the option a few years back through the Clean Line Project to open up a lot of inexpensive wind for its customers and to customers throughout the southeast. Bill Johnson, who was then the CEO of TVA, turned down the deal without fully presenting it to his board, and we still don't know exactly why he said no to the deal. Another example is that TVA is a laggard on solar when compared to others across the southeast. We put out an annual solar report that compares utilities on, you know, how much solar they're they're doing for their customers. And TVA continues to be labeled a sun blocker according to our our metrics. Now we hear a lot about solar from TVA, but from what we've seen, it's a lot of talking the talk, and we have yet to see them actually walk the walk. In fact, TVA's board approved a budget that includes funding for up to 5 gigawatts of solar over the next 10 years, and that's less than half of what similarly sized Florida Power and Light is planning over that time frame. So all in all, since the change in the regulatory structure in particular, we've seen what happens when you let a utility the size of TVA essentially self-regulate. TVA staff and board committees meet behind closed doors to make major decisions that impact cities and customers across the valley. And some of these decisions, like to pass on the clean line project or to slow walk solar additions, are out of the control of the cities and customers that have no choice but to rely on the TVA for power and that would like TVA to take advantage of the low-cost solar and wind resources.
1: I think you kind of alluded to this in the overview of how TVA works. I think my gut reaction here is, well, can these cities go it alone? You mentioned sometimes they're able to leave TVA service, sometimes they've come back, Is there a way for cities in the Southeast that are communities, rural or urban, to say, hey, we see the opportunity. Maybe we could get part of a clean line project. Maybe we could develop our own solar. Are there things that TVA is doing to hold back cities or or communities or these local power companies from disconnecting from TVA and from going to get those low-cost clean energy resources elsewhere?
0: So cities can choose to leave the TVA system, but what that looks like depends on two factors one is what kind of contract the city has with TVA and two is where in TVA system that city is located so one example that's looking at this issue right now is the city of Memphis so Memphis is located at the edge of TVA's system and they're currently going through a process to evaluate whether or not to break free from TVA Memphis's current contract with TVA allows it to leave TVA after providing a 5 year notice So that means that once Memphis tells TVA it is leaving, that decision doesn't go into effect for at least five years. While Memphis has the power and positioning to leave TVA, other cities across the system would have a more difficult time breaking free. Through the process going on in Memphis, TVA has been very clear that if a city or co-op decides to leave TVA, they will no longer have access to TVA's transmission system, despite the fact that rates from the city or co-op's customers have paid for TVA's infrastructure. So again, I just want to emphasize that customers have paid for these transmission lines through their rates, but if their local power company decides to leave TVA, they will be cut off from using those lines. So with this, it's pretty clear why local power companies feel chained to TVA and are reluctant to look for alternatives for power supply. Cities that are not on the edge of TVA's territory, like Memphis, would then have to build expensive and redundant transmission in order to bring in power from outside of TVA's fence line. And even though TVA's fence line already limits what cities and communities can do, TVA is further backstopping its complete control over the region in a new way. Since last fall, the TVA has been pressuring city and co-op utilities to sign longer and more limiting contracts with TVA by dangling a very small discount on what the utilities pay TVA for power. The contracts cap what local utilities can do on their own at 5% of their average hourly demand. We looked at what this meant for an example city, Knoxville, Tennessee, and it limits the utility to about 32 megawatts total over at least the next 20 years. If that is all solar, it would shave off only about 1% of the power Knoxville has to buy from TVA. Knoxville recently passed climate emission reduction goals, and if the utility signs this contract with TVA, it could limit how and if the city is able to meet these goals, even though they're a priority for residents and local utilities. So TVA has been touting the, quote, flexibility of these contracts to local utilities of the media. But in reality, these contracts are very limiting on what local utilities, cities, and communities can do on their own on clean energy.
1: And if I remember in some of my background reading about these new contracts, Mm -hmm. they're also trying to make it harder to get out of the contracts. You mentioned Memphis has this sort of like five-year notice where it can leave. But if I'm not mistaken, this is going to become much more difficult to leave. In addition to being capped on what they can do if they stay with TVA, it's going to be a lot harder to get out.
0: Yes. The new contract would mean a 20-year lead time for leaving TVA. So instead of five years between when a city would give notice and when it would actually leave TVA, that time frame becomes 20 years.
1: Is there a particular city that's been kind of engaged, you know, you've mentioned Memphis and Knoxville, both Mm -hmm. kind of either in the consideration of leaving or having these clean energy or climate goals that are in conflict with their continuing TVA contracts. Is there a particular example that you think is helpful for people to understand in terms of how this has been playing out? Some lessons that are learned that you've learned from, from how those cities have engaged in that struggle with TVA?
0: Yeah, so for this, I think it's good to go back to Memphis, where they've had a struggle with TVA for a number of years. Part of that started with how TVA contaminated groundwater in Memphis from coal ash from TVA Allen plant that's located nearby, and also how that is being cleaned up. Additionally, a few years back, TVA got in trouble with the EPA, again, over its treatment of coal ash, and was required by the EPA to invest $50 million in low-income energy efficiency as a part of its settlement. Memphis actually has the highest energy burdens of any city in the entire country. So energy burden is the portion of household income that's spent on energy, and Memphians struggle with this more so than any other country, not just in TVA, but across the whole country. But contrary to where most people would think that TVA would spend the funding for energy efficiency, TVA actually sent most of the funding to other cities. It's also important to note that from a carbon emission standpoint, TVA has reduced their emissions above the national average over the last 15 years. Now, that is in part because TVA emissions in the early 2000s were very high due to its high reliance on coal, but now, It is also because since 2005, TVA has retired a number of coal plants while building new gas and nuclear. However, based on TVA's current plans for its future, we see a worrying trend. Those emissions are expected to level out, and we don't expect meaningful emission reductions after TVA retires its bull-run coal plant in 2023. So we expect emissions to stay flat after 2023 through at least the late 2030s. That leaves cities and communities that TVA serves on the hook for meeting emission targets themselves. And as I mentioned, TVA is limiting their ability to do that by pushing these long-term contracts that cap what cities and communities can do on their own.
1: We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Maggie and I discuss whether changing TVA's governance structure or ownership could help, what she sees as the ideal solution, and where she looks for inspiration for the struggle of Appalachian communities seeking greater self-reliance. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan, and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners— Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. You talked earlier about the governance of TVA, how it's shifted from this three-person federal board that was pretty active in management to one that is a little bit more like an investor-owned utility, where they're kind of sitting back, you know, that part-time oversight of a CEO. Do you think that that governance structure affects how it's creating this tension between communities and the utility? You know, would the Southeast, for example, be better served if it was just a fully private utility where it was regulated by state commissions?
0: So this is a pretty tricky question, but I think it's a, an important one to look at. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're thinking about governance and utility models, I think it's pretty easy to look at which model or model should be more responsive to what customers want in a theoretical sense. However, we also have to look at how these models have played out over the past century or more, basically since utility, you know, electric utility models began to take shape in the country. We are open to exploring different options with the TVA model and we think there could be more than one model that would open up the region to more affordable utility bills, not just low rates, and more abundant clean energy resources. So, one such option would be for the TVA model to continue as a public power model, but with more oversight. This could mean another change to the role of TVA's Board of Directors, And it certainly would include an increase in the transparency and public input process in how TVA makes decisions. There's absolutely no reason for a public power entity like TVA to be less transparent than a typical investor-owned utility. Another option, and this is at the other end of the spectrum, would be for the federal government to turn the TVA into a regional transmission organization or something similar and open up power markets in the region. The TVA fence line would then be opened up so that TVA would have to compete with other sources of power. And that way, cities and communities would be able to purchase power from the newly set up market, and then they could make their own decisions about clean energy resources. So again, we're open to exploring different changes because we feel you know the current regulatory model is not working well for the people of the valley.
1: It's such a thorny issue, this discussion about governance right now, because we have, I think, fairly significant examples of poor actors in all types of governance models. We have Pacific Gas and Electric that's being held liable for wildfires out in California. Obviously, the climate's been stoking weather systems that have caused that, but it also looks like they underinvested in maintenance and maybe in more resilient localized power systems. You have investor-owned transmission companies in Maine that are being subject to legislation to take them over, to make them public, because of really high costs and poor performance. And then here you have TVA as a public entity that is creating a lot of challenges so i think i appreciate your hesitation in answering this question because it's a really challenging one to figure out what is the right structure that is going to enable people to make good choices I, i think that second one that you mentioned is really attractive in the sense that it would allow more local choice so it would simply say for people in memphis or knoxville who really are motivated by maybe it's climate concerns maybe it's more access to clean energy they could do that but people who wanted to keep buying power from TVA's nuclear or gas or coal plants could still do so.
0: Yeah. And another example of that is what's going on in South Carolina with Santee Cooper, where they're actually debating, the legislature is debating whether or not to sell the state-owned utility. They got into some trouble with a failed nuclear project, whether to reform it and keep it as a publicly owned utility or or to sell it to an investor-owned utility. So we're on the front lines of trying to observe and, and see where the debate is going.
1: And that, if I'm not mistaken, that also that failed nuclear plant fiasco mm-hmm. also resulted in the sale of the investor owned, major investor owned utility in South Carolina to Dominion Energy yep. already, mm-hmm. yep. uh, which also has a history of throwing its weight around politically in its home state of Virginia in a way that has avoided public scrutiny. So, sometimes just changing ownership is not necessarily sufficient to deal with some of these issues, but it is definitely, I can understand the appeal of, you know, fire the bums or, you know, (laughs) get new bums in charge or something like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think of it like a a sports team. If you're having a bad record, you can try and fix that by firing your coach and hiring a new one. But that doesn't mean that the new coach is going to be able to come in and affect change, or at least not right away. So,
1: With that in mind, you know, what do you see as the best outcome of this debate? Would it be that individual cities can peel off of TVA? Do you think it would be, I mean, and let's go a little bit beyond sort of what we see as immediately politically feasible here. Would it be best if some reform efforts at TVA got it to back down on the contracts and let more cities have some flexibility or like raised that percentage number? from 5% to 20% that folks could generate locally. Mm -hmm. What would you see as kind of the right mix of things that would make it bring in some of that sense of accountability, but also give that flexibility to communities that have really looked to go further?
0: Yeah. So what we would like to see come out of this is that we would like cities and communities in the Valley to have more choice. This means that they'd be able to leave TVA no matter where they're located It means that access to TVA's transmission grid would be provided in much the same way that utilities are required to give access to transmission all across the country, especially since the local utilities have already paid for this infrastructure. And the special protections that the Tennessee Valley Authority has, we believe, are outdated and should be looked at. The industry across the country is transitioning towards clean energy resources and a model where more resources and more control are concentrated on the distribution system than ever before. But TVA's current plans do not reflect this nationwide trend and they don't reap the benefits for customers or the environment. So we think it's time that the TVA model reflect the modern times in which we live. And there's a number of different ways we can get there going either top down or or bottom up. So thinking top down first, TVA is still a federal entity, so changes can be made, and in a lot of ways, the future of TVA depends a lot on the outcome of this November's election, both for the president and the Senate, because they could have a lot of influence over TVA. The other side of things is to work bottoms up, and this is where local utilities in cities like Memphis can really play a key role, and other local utilities across the Tennessee Valley to really put pressure on TVA and, and be responsive to their needs, because it's it's our opinion that the local utilities stepping up and putting pressure on TVA could really put some changes in place at the TVA model.
1: Well, I just want to ask you if, if there's any example that you look to outside of the southeast, kind of as a wrap-up here, that inspires you to think about how you might like to see this problem be addressed with TVA? Are there communities in other places that have been successful getting more of that flexibility? Utilities that you look to as a model of like, if we could just wave a magic wand and TVA could become like that utility that would allow this to move forward better?
0: I think it's hard to find any one examples, but I think there are a number of places that are doing at least you know, a lot of things right. One example that's used a lot compared to this TVA model is Tri-State GT in Colorado, and they recently were trying to get stricter contracts with their local co-ops, and the local co-op were not happy about that, and were not happy about the direction that Tri-State was going, and that's really turned around the direction that Tri-State is going as far as clean energy resources. And they're now planning for you know more solar and wind than they were previously. And allowing their local co ops that purchase power through Tri State to really do more flexible projects on their own. So, that's one example of, of how TVA could be set up to work better for these cities and communities. Another example to look toward is the Bonneville Power Authority, which is in the Pacific Northwest and is also a federal entity and, and was originally set up somewhat like the TVA, but it's a, it's, it's a smaller system. At BPA, at Bonneville Power Authority, I'll, I'll say them out because BPA and TBA sound kind of alike. Um, at, at, <laughs> at Bonneville Power Authority, one thing that happened is that in the 1970s, after some failed investments in nuclear, the Bonneville Power Authority is now required to have a outside entity do a lot of its resource planning, and there's a lot more transparency and oversight in the process That has led Bonneville Power Authority and and the region as a whole to invest a lot more in energy efficiency in particular, as well as renewables, than we see in TVA. And I recently saw some statistics that estimated that that process and the energy efficiency investment that's now been going on for decades in the area has led to about a 14% reduction in customer utility bills. So that's, I mean, that's a really big deal for customers. So those are two examples that we would we would pull from. I think there are also a number of local municipal utilities that are doing really neat things on renewable energy and distributed renewables and energy efficiency. And we would look to reform the TVA model so that, you know, more of those kinds of programs and resources could be brought in to serve the people of the Tennessee Valley.
1: Well, Maggie, thank you so much for joining me to talk about what's going on in the Southeast and this tension with TV? I think it really speaks to this sort of larger question people have about how do we advance solutions and how do we give communities more say in their energy future. So keep up the good work and good luck figuring out how to deal with that behemoth of the (laughs) Southeast. Um, And thanks for sharing your time with me today.
0: Great, thank you so much, John.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Local Energy Rules with Maggie Schober, Director of Utility Reform for the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. To learn more about how clean energy has raised issues for many rural communities in their relationship with their electricity provider, see ILSR's report on Remembering the Electric Cooperative, which covers many of the contractual limitations placed on TVA's local power companies. Also check out our recent post on public power campaigns featuring several cities that have considered whether or not to take over their local power company. Or look at the Community Power Map, which lists every single city-owned utility. Tune back in to Local Energy Rules in two weeks to hear more stories of communities building local power to transform the energy system. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.